0: totally accepts you and really, really likes you. Enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Welcome to this week's episode of Still Growing in Grace. Today, we're going to talk about the topic of resolving to believe, coming to a place of deciding what you believe. There are many today who are walking in faith, as a believer or a Christian, and they're not certain about some things they believe in. They would like to know better, but they're not sure how, or they're confused because of all the conflicting messages. But we don't have to worry about all those subtopics. There are some key things that we can resolve to believe, and that's what I want to encourage you with today. What does this word resolve even mean? Well, the idea to resolve or a resolution, which you know what a resolution is, happens every January first. Everybody does a resolution that they're going to lose weight or they're going to start working out. They resolve to start this habit and all sorts of resolutions. There's a resolve for about 24 hours and then they forget about it. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course, but it does happen like that. So that's where the idea of resolve or resolution comes from. And a definition would be something like this. To come to a definite or earnest decision about or to determine to do something, I've resolved that I shall live, but live it to the full, like that kind of an idea. Another definition word is to settle or find a solution to a problem or dispute, to settle it, to fix it, to resolve it. Uh, then, uh, another final definition would be a resolve or firm determination to do something or not to do something. That's what this idea of resolve comes from. There was a a powerful story, uh, Nehemiah chapter one. There's a a huge shift in the people of Israel's minds uh, when this story happens. I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter one, uh, a quick summary of a change of mind, a new determination in the lives of people when they heard some news. Let me just read it for you because it'll make a little more sense. In the late autumn, in the month of Kisli, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, which is 446 B.C., I was was at the fortress of Susa. Henanai, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things are going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates of the city have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I find it interesting that Nehemiah, who's not even in Jerusalem, but he is he's part of their heritage and who they are and their people, he hears, because he's asking about his homeland, his home key city, he hears it's in a terrible place, and his response is deep. It's one of anguish. It's like he Took in the pain and the frustration of the people stuck in Jerusalem. His response was for people he loved. How many times do we not respond like that when we hear people are in distress? We hear people in trouble on the news all the time. We hear about fellow believers having great difficulty, and we've already written off many of them thinking it's all their fault anyway. They're not listening to any advice anyway. So you write them off so you don't have to feel their anguish. It's just one of those cold, harsh realities that I have witnessed in the church world for a long time. Unless it benefits you, then you'll jump into action. Well, here Nehemiah does something and models something we need to take seriously. He wept. He prayed. In fact, he fasted for days to the God of heaven. Then he writes, then I said, this is Nehemiah's prayer. You'll love this. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen to be honored. Then he goes on, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And it ends by saying, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. We're not going to get into the rest of the story because that is a whole different talk. But this is a story today reminding us of a healthy, God-inspired response to difficulty. And I I love his prayer. He begins by praying, uh, Oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. He is starting off by honoring God, giving him a great praise, which is wonderful. God deserves that. He, and he begs God, please listen to my prayer. Look, see me, see what I'm doing. You know, I don't believe he was doing those actions per se to get God's attention, but he may also have that law mindset, which is the old covenant that your performance does matter. So he did put it in and that's how they saw it. That's how they believed. But he was doing these things, asking God, Hey, please listen. See, I'm praying. I'm praying for those people. He did something else that I did not see coming. And I couldn't understand for a long time because he's not in Jerusalem at all. But look at this confession. He says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. He's not even in Jerusalem. What's he talking about? Well, isn't it funny how you and I, and I, I'm i speaking to myself here, I've done this, and I hope I have the Holy Spirit cause me to wake up and not let it happen again, but there are times I've watched people in their misery, and I see myself separate from them, thinking they are wallowing in their own pain. They're, it's their own fault. It's the consequences of their horrible decisions. And so you write it off. You, you, you don't identify with what they're going through. In fact, you almost try to make yourself better by comparing yourself with their behavior, which is a sin. We're not called to do that at all. Instead, Nehemiah equals himself with his people, even though he's not there. He is confessing together, saying, I am part of them. We are one people. We have sinned. So he's not pointing the fingers. He didn't say, God, they have sinned. Yes, terrible of them. You and I are, you know, I know we're good, but those people over there have really, really sinned. You know, you should probably forgive them. That's not at all what he did. He saw himself as a humble equal. That's a really good lesson for today. Do you see yourself as an equal to those around you? Do you see yourself as an equal to those who don't know as much as you know about God? Do you see those as equals who don't know their Bible very well? Do you see yourself as equals to those who don't even believe in God? I th- if, if the answer is yes, for even a millisecond, you need to pause today You need to reflect on who you are in Christ and discover who God is to you, how he sees you, and how he wants you to see others. Last week's program, we talked about that, but uh, loving one another's believers, but then growing to have a, a genuine love for all people. I love this prayer that Nehemiah had. And then he asked God for favor because he's going to go to the king. He's going to ask for a special request. And again, that story is awesome. So go and check out Nehemiah chapter one. It's a great story of faith. Uh, And uh, the short answer is, I'll tell you now, uh, the king does give him favor and the king does give him time off. Not only does the king give him time off, he sends him away with supplies galore. He sends him with a guard to protect him. Like, this is like over the top generous. Clearly, God answered his prayer and he was shown favor. This is phenomenal. Then we have this other story of another individual who had to resolve to believe because the reason the story of Nehemiah is so important is because he resolved in him. He decided in himself that he was going to not just pray for them over there, separating himself. Oh, poor people, you know, hope hope you do well. Hope you're okay. God bless you. Prayer, prayer and thoughts, prayer and thoughts. Bye. He didn't do that at all. He put his whole heart into it and resolved to do something about it. And I believe that resolve came through or out of that time of prayer, fasting, and uh, uh, deep meditation. I I really do. I think his whole mind was changed. Then we have the story of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, the stepfather of Jesus. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Joseph, to whom she was engaged was a righteous man. It did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took his wife, Mary to be his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This is a powerful resolve. It was after he was confronted in a dream, giving him truth, which is powerful, and it gave him assurance. And then he resolved, the, uh, he, he undid the previous resolution because he thought, I, I'm going to break this up. I'm resolving to, to end this relationship, but I love her a whole lot, so I want to do it nicely. Well, the Holy Spirit changed that resolve. Be ready to have your resolve changed. Be ready to have certain things that you think you're going to die on this hill. Maybe God has a better plan. Maybe he wants to soften you. Maybe he's trying to show you how much he loves you just as much he loves the people that you look down on. This is a big story. There's another story of, uh, in the book of Daniel, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment um, because we're just about finished our first half here. But back to Nehemiah, who had a deep resolve. He determined and was ready and resolved to do something about the burden that was put on his heart. Joseph resolved to change his mind that he was going to get rid of Mary, and God gave him the power and the encouragement to, to go through with it, and he walked out that resolve. Nehemiah also walked out that resolve. So let's come back to the second half and find out what Daniel does. Don't go
1: away. Family run, family owned. So their focus is on you. Conestoga Lodge Retirement Residence is a full service retirement home in Kitchener. And you'll be impressed to know that they are not a big corporate chain. They're quality driven with a focus on each and every individual. Conestoga Lodge offers permanent and short-term stays. To book a free, no-obligation tour, you can call 519-576-2140 or visit online at conestogalodge.com.
0: Looking for adventure in the great outdoors? It's not far from your own backyard at Conestoga River Horseback Adventures. Fun for the whole family or why not your next corporate party? Trail rides are offered all year round and other options like pony rides and birthday parties for the young cowboys and cowgirls. Afterwards, you can relax and keep the party going in their large, comfortable lounge. Conestoga River Horseback Adventures, 519-888-6503 and horsebackadventures.ca. One of my favorite stories is the story of Daniel, where he does the greatest resolve I have ever heard of in scripture. It's just blunt. It's obvious to see. I don't know about you and I, but uh, there are days I, I had resolved to do certain things, and then I just don't feel like it anymore. I'm tired. I want to give up. I want to just crash. I don't want to do that project. I don't want. I'm not a good finisher. I'm a good starter, but I don't finish well, and that's... That's difficult, but having people around me that do finish things definitely encourages me to complete those tasks that I've left undone. But in the story of Daniel, we have this awesome verse. It's It says this, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Huh. Some of you may not know the story, and if you don't, it goes something like this. Four young men were taken captive, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. They were brought to Babylon. Uh, They were going to be trained as influencers of the Jewish people. They were going to break them down, break down their resolve to their old way of thinking old way of believing. They were going to convert them to the Babylonian teaching and make them Babylonians, but look like the Jewish people. So the Jewish people would buy in and believe them. This was a really good trickery at its best. This is a way to brainwash. And they first thought they could brainwash Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one of the things they tried to do was spoil them. They thought they'd give them the delicacies of the land, the best food, the best fruit, the best, you name it, just food, 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 food. And Babylon thought, this is a great thing if, if uh, that's the one way you would, you know, woo and wow a Babylonian is give him a ton of great food. But Daniel determined In fact, another translation says, but Daniel was purposed in his heart. Another translation said, but Daniel made up his mind. And yet another translation will say, but Daniel resolved. He resolved to not defile himself by eating the food of the king. They asked for special favor. They even made a deal with the, one of the headmasters. Hey, feed us this bread and water stuff. And we promise that we're going to actually come out ahead looking stronger and better than all the other guys you've brought in. Because all the others, other guys caved in. And Daniel, because of what he was facing, had determined not to give in to this. That's what our culture does. Our culture tries to woo us, to soften us, to draw us into the delicacies of this world so that we do not need to rely on Christ in us. These are such great distractions. When we when we try to become self-sufficient, it's easy to forget the providence or the provision of our Lord and Savior who lives in us. If we are distracted enough from all these things— We don't have to think about living an abiding life. We just try to follow the status quo and run after every whim that comes our way, thinking, oh, that's just the way the world's doing it. God has made you better than that. He's made you better than the systems of this world. He has placed himself in you and has given you the resolve. Are you going to hear it? Are you listening for those words of resolve the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you? some thoughts on Daniel. This is this is really cool because it, it, how do we handle the problems that come our way? Well, I promise you this. If you don't have something planned in advance of how you're going to handle that kind of a problem or blindside, you're just going to go with whatever's closest in front of you. Here Daniel does something very different. He resolved in advance. He determined in advance to not let things defile him. He knew very much who his God was and he was not going to give up his God and very much like an athlete athlete or intellectual training or medical training preparing for any circumstances necessary, ready to act. I'm a fire department chaplain, and I've watched the training of many, many firefighters, and they go to these training things, and training happens all the time. I've been a part of volunteer firefighters uh, departments and full-time paid firefighting departments, and each of them go through rigorous training. Why do they go through training? So that they set a new default of what their response will be, where a normal human runs out of a fire firemen will run into one. It's counter, uh, counterintuitive to what we're wired for. And these guys will go in and do the exact opposite. They've also been trained how to react, what to look for, not to be afraid in the dark. I remember one time I was uh, following a firefighter through a thick, thick smoke. All I had, I had a mask on, I had the breathing apparatus, which was a whole new thing. I had the heavy gear on, I was crawling, I had a hose I was following, and I had to have my hand on the firefighter's heel in front of me just in case I got lost. There was all this practice that was put into place on purpose in advance so that in the event of a significant issue, I knew how to find my way out. In fact, the hose that goes into the house is is left there so that you have a way to find your way back out because you don't know what every house layout is you don't know what when it's a duplex or or if it's a how many sub levels in the house that hose becomes your lifeline your way out but if you don't know that you won't be prepared and daniel decided in advance he resolved in advance to be prepared so when it happens and the attacks came he knew how to respond he was willing to stand alone when it was necessary. He's willing to even have his life taken away. There's a great story that we've heard of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they're they're thrown in a fiery furnace. What's with that? Or the three guys were anyway. Daniel wasn't there. But the three guys were thrown in the furnace because they refused to bow down. They had a resolve ahead of time that they would not bow to any other gods. And a huge miracle happened. They got thrown in the fire and this fourth figure shows up an angel of God? Could it have been Jesus? It's very, very possible. Not impossible. So, if we prepare in advance, it gives us the strength to have a better response to the circumstances. It's better to know in advance who your Heavenly Father is, who you are when trouble comes. Um, Why is all this stuff important? Well, some of the meat offered to to the people were forbidden under Jewish law. And it was kind of like a slippery slope of dependency. If they started eating all that extra food, they know that according to their culture, they'd be defiled. Well, if they defiled themselves with the food, oh, what's the difference of defiling yourself in many other ways? And it just continues and continues and continues. It was the process of being broken from the Jewish heritage, which they did not want to do. And so they chose in advance. They chose what was right in the middle of wrong. He was determined not to give in to the pressure. I wonder if he was told no by the headmaster. I I wonder what would happen to him. I wonder if they would have just killed him. But he was shown favor. There was something profound. I believe God was part of the story. I think God knew what was going on and was involved intricately in influencing the individuals at hand. He was in another world of different convictions, but he was with others amongst himself that had similar convictions. This is important. It is important to have like-minded, like-hearted people around you to encourage you to walk with you. You will become like those you hang out with. We try to tell our teenage kids that, and they roll their eyes. But guess what? We forget that as we get older too. We become like those we hang out with. We begin to talk like them, sound like them, act like them. Believe me, there is a great value in this whole idea of resolving. But what are you going to resolve? I'm not going to tell you that today, except I'm going to give you some suggestions of what to resolve to believe. In fact, that's what's coming next. I want... You and I to be encouraged every day. I want us to resolve to believe what God says about us. What would you do if you heard some key things that are true of you so that when trouble comes, like voices, voices that will tell you you are no good, you are a rotten sinner, you're just a sinner saved by grace? You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint who's been saved and made right. You're not a sinner. Sinner is an identity issue based on your behaviors. Don't let anybody call you a sinner. You're not one. I'm a saint who sometimes sins. But I've discovered there's some key things we need to know and be reminded of every time we get these pressing problems in our world. Number one, you are a child of God, John 1.12. I'm going to read these quickly because the time is running out, and I want you to catch these, especially if you come back to listen to them. You are God's friend, John 15, 5. You have been chosen to be productive, John 15, 6. You are one with him. Oh my goodness, that's a really important one. 1 Corinthians 6:17. You have been specifically chosen by him. Ephesians 1, 3 to 8. You are forgiven. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. We covered that last week just a touch. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a great series on forgiveness, understanding it better. You are complete in him. Colossians 2, 9 to 10. You are not condemned. Romans 8, 1 to 2. These are pieces of good news we must be believing in order to walk through our day and keep our resolve. You are unconditionally loved by him. Romans 8, 28 to 38. You are safely hidden with Christ in God, Philippians 1.6. You are assured that God will finish what he started in you, Philippians 3.20. You are protected from the evil one, 1 John 5.18. You have divine life dwelling inside you, 1 Corinthians 3.16-17. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, Ephesians 2.6. You are a divine work of art, Ephesians 2.10. You are able to approach God confidently with that Have a fantastic, resolved day to believe God loves you. See you next time.
1: Are you looking for an encouraging church where you'll discover hope in God who truly loves and accepts you? Hope Fellowship in North Waterloo meets every Sunday at 1030, and the great coffee is only the first thing you'll appreciate. If you're looking for a safe place, a relaxed community of people who want to grow in the freedom of God's grace, welcome to Hope Fellowship, second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. Learn more at hopefellowshipycc.com, and they do have that great coffee. Martin's Small Engines and Auto Clinic in Elmira is more than small engines. Like their name says, Martin's is also a full-service auto clinic focused on automotive repair and service, brakes, tires, local lockout service, and so much more. Whatever you need, Martin's can do it. For that small-town feel with large shop quality, trust the team that really cares. Martin's Small Engines and Auto Clinic, Industrial Drive Elmira and martinselmira.com. You've been listening
0: to Still Growing in Grace. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker, and I'd like to invite you to join me next Tuesday morning at 1130 when our teaching time will continue. Or join us at 1030 every Sunday morning at Hope Fellowship, your community church located on the second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. If this show has been an encouragement to you, won't you help us spread this good news? Make your donation today by visiting stillgrowingingrace.ca. You can also catch up on past programs, watch YouTube videos of our talks, and download our weekly podcasts. Sign up for our email list and send in your questions. After all, no one has arrived, and we are all still growing in grace.